You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. So I love sports. I love playing sports, but I also really love watching sports, which has just been one added element to all the weirdness of the past several months, because really it kind of seems like it was sports that started the shutdown. I remember when the first NBA player tested positive and then the next day we didn't have school anymore. It was really weird. I don't know how you go from A to Z like that, but that's kind of how I remember it going down. And it's been weird because I know that I have missed watching sports, but actually I've kind of fallen out of a rhythm with it to the point where I haven't noticed it as much as I thought that I would. And I started thinking if I fall out of the rhythm like that as a viewer, I can't imagine how difficult it is for the actual athletes. When you think about basketball players who were right in the dead middle of their season and then everything shuts down to now think about the fact that they're going to be playing at the beginning of August, picking up with the season that that's normally the off season. Now it's the season and finishing it out and they have to be in playoff form and ready to go. And then they'll only have a couple months off and their next season will start even later. Or thinking about baseball players, where they're cutting the season out, I think, to 60 games, which, let's be honest, seems appropriate for baseball. Does anyone need more than 60 games of baseball? Anyway, but now, so they had this long hiatus, and now they've got to get themselves hyped up for something that's a much different grind, a much different mentality, something that's different on you physically. It has to be hard. And then thinking about the Olympians just blows my mind that these people have been training for their entire lives, but especially the last four years to get to this point, and now they have a whole nother year to wait. And I can't imagine how it feels to try to get back in that rhythm, to get back in that shape, to get back in this feeling of, now I have to be the athlete I was three months ago, and I wasn't sure any of this was going to take place at all. And so those seasons change, and the preparation is thrown all out of whack. When we think about life and the seasons that we have in life, you know, not the like climate seasons, but the seasons that we go through as, as people, those seasons tend to feel a lot more like athletics in 2020 than they do a normal year. We can't necessarily guide how those seasons are going to happen. And sometimes they're up and sometimes they're down. Sometimes we have good seasons where everything is going well, where we're not stressed, we're relaxed, everything seems to be falling in place, and we're happy and content and satisfied. Sometimes we have seasons where we feel just overwhelmed and consumed and sad and broken and like we don't know how we're going to get on on the other side. And sometimes those seasons just ping pong back and forth, or we feel both of those things at the same time somehow. Now, sometimes we can predict when a good season is going to come in our life. We kind of get the feeling or we know and we prepared and we know that something good is about to happen. Sometimes we can even see the difficult seasons coming. But sometimes life changes in an instant. And obviously that's something we are familiar with very much in this year of our Lord 2020. But everything can change and we can feel radically lost, hopeless, and overwhelmed. But here's the thing, as followers of Christ, no matter what season of life we find ourselves in, our calling, our mission, our purpose in life doesn't change. And the calling for the church, for Christians, at the core of everything that we do is to preach the gospel, 
to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors, ourselves. And the primary way that we do both of those things is by preaching, proclaiming, and testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God who died and rose again to bring salvation to his people. And so we're going to look at that exactly this morning as Paul gives that challenge to Timothy, but also to us as we read this passage of scripture here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And so if you would, look along with me. And this is the word of God. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appealing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. We say thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, I know full well that everything that we're being taught this morning is something that we can resoundingly amen, but also be horrified to participate in. God, the idea of evangelism, of proclaiming the gospel, of living a life centered around and focused on gospel ministry in our words and our actions, especially in the midst of seasons that are trying and difficult, it can, it can be a lot. But God, I thank you that you keep that standard and that you have not only through your Holy Spirit equipped us for that work, but you have brought us together as a church to do that as one. And so God, this morning, I I pray first and foremost that you help us to recognize the goodness of the gospel to the point where it's something that, as the prophets say, burn in our bones, that your word would just have to pour out of us because of our passion and our love, but also that you would remind us of the seriousness of our calling, that we live in a world that desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ and that you have ordained and commissioned your church to be the vehicle through which the gospel goes into the world. So we do ask and pray that you bless your word, that you would teach us to divide it rightly, to be sober-minded in the way that we think and passionate in the way that we minister and evangelize. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The word preach is an interesting one because like a lot of words, the connotations around it tend to change as you go. And when you look back, even in our nation's history, in the 50s and even late 1800s, there was a sense of purpose in preaching. There was an art form to it for starters, but also a sense of priority placed on it. It had a social impact just as well as a spiritual impact. It seemed to be the, in addition to politics, I guess, over the course of our country's history, it was one of the loudest voices that preachers had a tendency to be very loud and dominant in that sense. And it was something that at times was very revered and respected. But then as things happen, that word gets a negative connotation. So no one wants to feel preachy 
No one wants to be preached at. These are things that we have a very negative reaction and response to. And so what happened, especially over the last 20 years in the life of the church, is the word became very polarizing to the point where either people tended to want to be associated with it for all the wrong reasons, because they just wanted to preach and yell and point fingers and preach with kind of an outward sense there, or wanted to, to part themselves so far from the word that even pastors were saying things like, well, I don't, I'm not really a preacher, I'm more of a teacher, and I give talks and not sermons, and trying to, to move away from that language. But what Paul describes here in this passage of scripture is something that first and foremost is not what we tend to turn it into, but also something that is an imperative when he talks about the importance of preaching the word. Preaching for Paul is not an option. And I love Paul's writings in the New Testament because he's so just earnest and blunt at times and real, and even at times is willing to offer something that he marks as an opinion, right? When Paul talks about marriage, he says, you know what? It would be better if everyone was single because look how awesome my ministry is and look how much free time I have, but I guess some of you folks need to get married. And so if you got to get married, then get married. But for the most part, obviously, as we see just God using Paul's story in his life and all these beautiful things to create his word and guiding him by the spirit. Paul is letting us know very clearly here that what he's saying is not opinion in any way, shape, form, or fashion. In fact, he starts off here really narrowing down that he is not just telling Timothy from pastor to pastor, or that it would be a good idea if you would preach. He says at the beginning of this passage, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom to preach the word. He lays that authority on extra thick. He says, in case there's any confusion, in case there's any wondering, is this just Paul or is this something that is authoritative by the the immersion of scripture and the immersion of the Holy Spirit? Paul says, I charge you by God and Jesus Christ. But not only does he invoke the name of God and the power of Jesus Christ, but then he continues on to say, who is the judge of the living and the dead? And so clearly this calling to preach is something that cannot be taken lightly. When Paul uses that language of judge here, it evokes the parables of Jesus. And we can think of multiple parables that Jesus lays out about servants of a master who were either lazy or apathetic or ashamed of their stewardship. And in any of those circumstances, in all of those stories, those stewards, those managers had to go before the master and present what they had done and stand at the judgment seat of their master. And Paul is using that same language here, telling us, listen, you have a calling and you have a responsibility and not just a calling from God, but one that one day you are going to have to stand before God and Jesus Christ, who is the righteous judge of the living and the dead, and present what you have done, how you have stewarded this commandment to proclaim the gospel. This is a not very subtle reminder that the Christian life is a life of work. That we don't just put our faith in Christ and then thank God for being forgiven of our sins and then just sit back and wait for death or the return of Christ for everything to just be washed away. But we are called into action from the moment that we put our faith in Jesus. Think about the way that he called those first disciples. He didn't say, hey, come and follow me and we'll hang out for a while and we'll talk a little bit. And then maybe if you feel like it, then maybe you can start doing some of these things as well. He looks at those men and he says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. We have work to do. Come and follow me. There is a mission at hand. 
And that kingdom work that we're called to is to preach, to proclaim the gospel. And as we see here in verse two, Paul is talking about something so much more than just being a good Bible study teacher or having a small group or being able to stand in front of a church and talk like I'm doing right now and preach like I'm doing right now. He says, preach the gospel, be ready in every season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There's a holistic nature to the way that he describes this mission of proclaiming the gospel. Because again, we can sometimes fall back into that mentality of, well, I'm just going to proclaim the gospel through the way that I live. And we should. We should be the kind of people who live in the gospel. And the gospel should drive everything that we do, the way that we speak, the way that we serve, the way that we go to work, the way that we parent children, the way that we are children, the way that we live our lives in every area that God calls us to should be a living, breathing testimony of the gospel. But Paul is reminding us here that it's not just about performing the gospel, but about speaking the gospel, making it evident and proclaiming the gospel of Christ died and risen from the grave, that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, and is offered as a free gift so that no one could boast. And the result of that is that when someone follows after Christ, they become a new creation. The old has passed away. We are called to the work of Christ and heading towards the hope that we have of glory, that one day Jesus will come again to make all things right and all things new. We cannot, even living in the South, in a place that's been traditionally called the Bible Belt, assume the gospel or assume that people are just going to see the way that we live and go, oh, okay, that must be what it means to be a Christian. I want to be a part of that. But we need to be the kind of people who speak the gospel and proclaim the gospel. Our mission, our calling, our purpose in life is to proclaim the whole counsel of God and the fullness of the gospel, not simply in how we live, but how we explicitly proclaim the word of God with the words that he has given us. But this is a difficult thing to do. And maybe you're here and you're just really good at this kind of thing. You're really good at just taking every conversation and every moment straight to the gospel. But as I'm going to talk about a minute, I'm not. I'm not great when it comes to personal evangelism. I'm really bad at it, actually. And there is a bit of a a heaviness that comes with it. There's a bit of a fear that comes with it. And more often than not, we have a tendency to not do it. And I think part of that, there's a lot of reasons that we can go into it. But when it comes to what Paul is saying here, I think part of that is because of a, a lack of preparedness. I, every now and then, enjoy an opportunity just to wing it, just to figure out what's going to happen. Whether it's in just various aspects of life or whatever is going on, every now and then it's kind of exciting to think, huh, I don't really know what's coming next. Let's just figure it out as we go. Now, maybe some of you are here and thinking that is the worst thing that anyone could ever possibly say. My wife is probably making a list right now of something that's got to be done. And so there's just lists and lists and lists and lists. But sometimes I like to go off list a little bit. And that can be the mentality that we take with evangelism, with preaching and proclaiming the gospel. We just kind of secretly hope that maybe we don't have to have those conversations or that if those conversations come up, that maybe somebody better equipped for is around. And if those conversations do come up, we just kind of hope that maybe the Holy Spirit's going to whisper a little nothings in our ear that we'll have the words to say so that we can get out of this situation, hopefully not make too much of a mess about it. But going back to an analogy from a couple weeks ago, if I called the International Olympic Committee and I was like, ha, hey guys, 
I want to run in your Olympic marathon. And then they were like, cool, man, we have a spot for you. It would not be funny anymore for me because that would basically, in essence, be a death sentence. If I were to try to run a marathon right at this exact moment, I would pass away. And I would be, I would hope that you would be sad, but I would be very dead. And so even if they said, okay, cool, we've got a spot for you on the 2021 Olympic Games, one year is not going to be enough for me even if I had all that time. But chances are, because I know myself, what would happen even in that situation is I'd hang out, maybe I'd run for a few weeks early on, then I'd get kind of bored of it, and I'd probably fall off of an eating routine. And then, you know, May of next year would come around, I'd be like, oh, I feel like I got something to do. I have to run an Olympic marathon. I guess I better start training. And then in July of 2021, I would pass away on national television. And so we have this tendency to just want to procrastinate and not prepare. But when something is, is called to us, when we're called to do something beyond our ability, like me running a marathon in any way, shape, form, or fashion, preparedness is a must. And preaching and proclaiming the gospel is beyond our ability. It doesn't matter how gifted you are with words. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years. It doesn't matter if you've pastored a church for 90 years. It doesn't matter how deeply you've studied scripture. The reality is none of us are adequate or worthy to be able to stand and proclaim the gospel well. We don't understand it in its fullness. We can't. Paul says that we see in a mirror dimly that we see through a veil right now. We don't even understand the fullness of all that God is doing and what that looks like in our lives. And so to, to have the audacity to say, oh, I'm good at preaching and I'm qualified for to be an evangelist or one of these things, it's, it's so far beyond our ability. And so we trust in the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit to make up for our inadequacies. But also this should remind us that we have a responsibility to constantly be preparing that we should constantly be making ourselves more well-versed in scripture, making it a more natural thing to be able to talk about the goodness and the grace and mercy of the gospel. We talked a lot about Christian community. And as we've been looking through Paul's calling to Timothy here in this book about what it means to be a minister, we've talked a lot about how all of us are called to be in one way, shape, form, or fashion ministers of the gospel. But also one of the things that makes church so awesome and one of the things that I've missed about us being able to be together is the fact that every single person brings something to the table. Every single person brings a gift to the body of Christ that we are not the same without one another. The church is an organization or an institution is not a thing that people should just come to to experience and just consume, but we are all called to participate and to be the body of Christ. And so some of us have giftedness in areas of music and administration and service and teaching and preaching and all these kind of things. We all have our gifts and our skills. And when we come together, we are stronger together than we are apart. But we also all have the same calling here. And this means that there will be times when you are uniquely qualified to proclaim the gospel to someone, whether it's through personal evangelism or teaching in a small group or community group or spending time serving hand in hand with somebody and being able to do discipleship in your home as you offer hospitality, whatever your giftedness is, there will be a time when an opportunity presents itself and you're like, I got this. This is right in my wheelhouse. This is exactly the way that I want to share the gospel. But there will be far more times where you are uniquely unqualified to do that. 
And that's where we have the tendency to want to start outsourcing, to find somebody else who can fill that role and somebody else who can do that for us, whether it's a pastor, youth pastor, children's minister, community group leader, just somebody that you know that has more experience in it. And we want to just be like, okay, hold on right here. I'm going to go find somebody else who can articulate this for you. I'm going to go find someone else who can show you what the gospel is all about. And we kind of hide behind this idea of, oh, well, that's not my calling. But for anyone who puts their faith and hope in Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have the calling and the responsibility to be proclaimers of the gospel. And not only are we all called to that, but we're all called to that all the time. Paul says, preach the word and be ready, be prepared in season and out of season. He writes to Timothy and he says, hey, listen, it's your job to preach and proclaim the gospel no matter what's going on. When you're in a season of life where things are going well, preach the gospel. When you're in a season of life where things are going horribly, preach the gospel. When you feel really good and healthy and strong, preach the gospel. When you feel sick and weak and feeble, preach the gospel. When you're emotionally strong and healthy, preach the gospel. When you feel down and broken, preach the gospel. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever season of life you find yourself in, preach the gospel. One of the things ESPN did, there's a lot of sports references today, so maybe I miss it more than I thought I did. One of the things ESPN did over the course of the first part of quarantine to help us forget that there weren't sports is they put out early this 1998 Chicago Bulls documentary that took 10 weeks, which was kind of, I mean, it was a lot. I love 90s NBA. That was a lot of content to wait over. And they did it so late, and I was always really tired on Monday mornings. But anyway, one of the episodes was devoted to the Michael Jordan flu game. And he called it a, what was it? A food poisoning game, which was weird. Uh, He said he got poisoned by some pizza, which, you know, here's the deal. Here's one of the things that I learned from that documentary. Michael Jordan is a man who um, will hold a grudge forever. And so just in case there's any chance that he ever watches this, hears this, Michael, I want you to know, I believe you. Please don't make an entire documentary just to make me feel bad like you did Isaiah Thomas. So... (laughs) But what happened is, one way or the other, he is sick, really just horribly sick. And yet, they're not going to stop the game. Not even for the great Michael Jordan. The game has to go on. And so he plays anyway. And in the Christian life, the, the calling doesn't stop when we feel bad. The calling doesn't stop when we're not feeling up to it. The calling doesn't stop when we're not feeling qualified. And so we need to be ready all the time in season and out of season. We should always, always be preparing. This means that followers of Christ need to be active students of scripture because this is where we find the gospel. This is where we find who God is and this beautiful narrative of how he's redeeming and restoring his creation and saving his people to himself. This is where we find out what the gospel is. And so if we don't know scripture, we don't know the gospel. And so we need to be people who study God's word. We need to be people who are immersed in prayer. We need to be the kind of people who trust in the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But also we need to be the kind of people who are connected to one another. I can't overstate the importance of community when it comes to being prepared to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Somewhere along the lines, we've reversed what church is supposed to be. Where church as an institution is what does all the ministry. 
It does all the programs. It does all the outreach. It does all of these things that the church is some sort of corporation or institution is the machine that does the ministry and everybody else just comes and participates where we can. But when we look at the New Testament, the church is designed to be a place where believers in Christ come together and sharpen one another like iron sharpens iron and equip one another for gospel service and gospel ministry and then send one another out into the world to do that. And sometimes that means we do it as a whole, as a church. Sometimes that means we do it as small groups of people doing life together and and proclaiming the gospel together. Sometimes that means we do it individually in our jobs, in our homes, wherever God calls us and leads us, because we can stretch further as a body of individuals made up as one whole than we can as just one big glob moving from place to place. And so we need to be sharpening one another, discipling one another, investing in one another's lives. In the places where I may be weak, you can teach me how to be strong. In the places where you may be weak, I can do the same for you. And we bring one another up and raise one another up in the gospel so that we can be prepared when anything comes along, any opportunity to share our faith and our hope in Jesus with others. We cannot underemphasize the importance of preparedness when it comes to sharing the gospel. Because the reality is our seasons are going to keep getting harder. The deeper that we go in our love and our affection for Jesus, the more we grow in our faith, the more ministry and work that we do, Jesus promises us that our seasons will grow hard and we will have some that are beyond our ability to endure. And so we have to rely fully on what Christ has given us and on all of the preparation that we've done leading us to that point. So to preach, we've, we've got to prepare. And then we get to verse three and four. It says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears and they'll accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, this tends to be one of those passages of scripture that usually gets quoted by preachers with kind of wagging fingers and to elevate themselves a little bit. Most of the time, this kind of comes from puffed up preacher language of there's going to be a time coming and maybe you know it is right now where people are, are wanting their ears tickled and they want people to preach them the way they want, but we're not going to do that here at X, Y, and Z church. We're going to be the people that preach the truth and kind of elevating themselves. But Paul's tenor here and his tone doesn't seem to be one of wagging his finger at those who aren't listening, but it's a call to mission for those who have. He says, this is what the world looks like. This is what people are looking for. This is what people are listening to, but you need to be different. You need to be sober-minded. You need to be immersed in scripture. As he said earlier in the book, rightly dividing the word of truth. You need to be thinking rightly about sound doctrine and about good theology. You need to be thinking rightly about the gospel and about community so that you don't fall into those traps because you have a mission. You've been planted in the midst of a world with tickling ears that want other people to tell them and affirm for them exactly what they want to hear. And you are called to be ambassadors of truth and ambassadors of the gospel. And so he says, be sober-minded. I think that language is so important there. And that's hard to do, especially when we live in a world where we either just feel like we're surrounded by insanity and lies or a world just kind of appealing to every base instinct and desire and pleasure that we have trying to lead us away. And so Paul says, no, you don't think about those things. You focus, 
You're sober-minded. You pay attention to the word of God so that you can go deep in your faith, so that you can be prepared. You're not focused on the myths of this world. You're not focused on the things that just tickle your ear, but you are reminded to come back to the word of God and the gospel of grace and then go out and get to work. And he says, your work that you're called to do is the work of an evangelist. And I love this passage. This passage has always resonated with me because growing up, this was a passage that my dad referenced and preached a lot. And he always emphasized the idea that Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. He doesn't say, be an evangelist. Because we see all in, in Paul's letters that there is a gift of evangelism. And some people have it. Maybe you do, or maybe you know somebody that has it. And I, I do not. I cannot emphasize enough that I do not. I am really, really bad at personal evangelism. I could stand confidently in a room of 90,000 strangers and preach at them, but if I had to have a conversation with one of them, it would get weird. I would say weird things, I'd make weird jokes, I'd do weird hand things, and just get all squirrely and sideways, and I'd trip over my words and fall apart. It would be, a me- it is a mess almost every time I share my faith with someone in a personal way like that but it doesn't matter. I'm not called to be the most fluid evangelist. I'm not called to be like some people that I've had in my life who can just walk up to anyone, anywhere, and immediately the conversation is about Jesus. Like, oh, you're ordering a hamburger? Oh, do you like that bun? Have you heard about the bread of life? It's amazing how they can just jump from one thing to the other. Meanwhile, I'm like, hamburgers and just eating. I don't know. It's a strange thing that happens to me, but it doesn't matter because again, this is not about our gifts or our skills. And so you might be here and you might feel a lot like me, that personal evangelism especially is scary. You feel awkward when you do it. Maybe you know who you were and who you have been and you don't think that anyone's going to listen to you because of the past and the life that you've lived. There's a lot of reasons that we can put in there and say, no, I'm not an evangelist. And Paul says, well, cool. Just work like one. Do the work of an evangelist. Go out and put yourself out there. Be vulnerable enough to share the faith because again, your skill is secondary here. It doesn't matter how good or how gifted you are. The reality is you are in a world that is lost in sin and turning to myths and falling away from the good, the news and the truth of the gospel and rejecting God. And it's our mission to go out and to bring them home and to be the ambassadors of truth, to be the ambassadors of God's reconciliation and the mouthpiece of the gospel. And so we don't have time to worry about if we're good at it or not. We need to trust the Holy Spirit. We need to trust in the preparedness that we receive through God's word and through the leading and guiding of the church. And we need to get out there and do the work of evangelism. Because that is the reality of our word, our world. And all these things, this idea of not enduring sound teaching, but having itching ears that'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, these echo chambers of affirmation, and they'll start turning away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. That's the reality of the world in which we live, and that's the world in which we are called to go out and to proclaim truth and to proclaim the gospel and to show and tell people the good news of Jesus. If we believe the gospel is what we say it is, then the message is enough. We don't have to be the most fluid, the most eloquent, or the most natural. We just have to have a heart for the lost, a love for Christ, and the boldness to be able to proclaim the gospel anytime that opportunity presents itself in good seasons and in bad. So we need to recognize the need. 
see the lost around us with Christ-like eyes and proclaim the gospel as often as he gives us opportunity. And so we need to be praying that God would continue to give us a passion to prepare, to strengthen one another and encourage one another, that he would give us a clarity of our calling to be able to recognize that it's not about just doing this when I feel qualified or just doing this when I feel good or doing this when it feels right or natural, but being willing to step out in any season to be a proclaimer of the gospel. And that this would be one of the things that defines us not only individually, but as a church, that we are a people who proclaims the gospel in season and out, in good times and bad, in hard times and easy and plenty or in famine. And as we do that, trusting that no matter how smooth and eloquent or clunky and awkward it is, that the word of God does not return void and that the spirit is going to move through the seeds that are planted. So that's our calling. That's our challenge. And now we have to get to work. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask for forgiveness. I just repent of the times when I have let pride, fear, uncertainty, shame get in the way of my primary calling to love you and love my neighbor by proclaiming the gospel. God, we just ask that you would help us to recognize how amazing it is that you've called us to this task, even one that's far beyond our pay grade. But you love us enough that you invite us into your mission and that you've given us what we need from an equipping standpoint to be able to do it well enough to see people come to faith in Christ through the work that you do in and through our lives and through our church. So God, I pray that you would just remove any barriers that would be so focused on preparing our hearts and our minds through scripture, prayer, worship, and, and community that we would be ready anytime the opportunity presents itself. And that when it does, that we would be bold enough to take that gospel opportunity to share your good news of the death and resurrection and coming of your son to a lost and broken world. So God, we pray that you would send us out from this place to do exactly that, sometimes together, sometimes individually, and that you would add to the number of this church people who are being saved and baptized and brought into the kingdom of God through the work of your church. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.